<laughs> All right. Well, that's growing too. <laughs> We're in Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> the 8th chapter is one of our favorite chapters in the book of Romans. Indeed, for many of us, the 8th chapter is among our favorite in the whole Bible. Um, and it has two large parts that draw on ideas that were first introduced in Romans 5. Um, the first part of Romans 8 is taking up the second thing that's revealed in chapter 5. Um, um, we boast in hope of the glory of God. Look, look back at chap- chapter 5, verse 1. 5, 1 and following are really introducing a whole section that goes through chapter 8. So in, in 5, 1... Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through uh, uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have have obtained access into this grace in which we stand, and we boast in hope of the glory of God. So he's he's been talking about the glory of God and and, uh, uh, what we we experience as people who have peace with God in the first part of Romans 8 down through verse 17. And so he's climaxed that by saying, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. If only he had stopped there. Because the second concept that's introduced in chapter 5 is, and not only so, but we boast in hope, I'm sorry, we boast in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces patience, and patience produces approved character, and approved character produces hope. That's the second part, beginning at verse 18 of Romans 8. Uh, And the rest of the chapter is about the role of suffering in the life of the Christian. Why, if we are at peace with God, should we have to suffer? (laughs) 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 I I don't know whether you've ever seen the movie uh, Fiddler on the Roof, but Tevye at one point says, Lord... I know that we're the chosen people, but once in a while, couldn't you choose someone else? <laughs> uh, uh, so why, if, if, if chapter 5-1 is right, being justified by faith, we have peace with God, why is there suffering? So chapter 5 puts the, the ideas together, chapter 8 puts the ideas together, why? And the answer is really quite simple. If you're in a Muslim world and you're a friend of Christ, why must you suffer? Yeah, but but you're living you're living in an alien world. You're you're living as an alien in a world that's in open rebellion against God. Yes. So, for if you if you are a friend of Christ living in a world that hates Christ, how can you not suffer? Why would you assume that there would not be suffering? Why would you assume that Jesus would have to go to the cross, but we wouldn't have to bear a cross? I I think I've mentioned to you our younger daughter went on a trip to India one year, a mission trip. They were in uh, uh, Varanasi, uh, Chris and Cindy. And... uh, uh, India is not the cleanest place in the world. Okay. <laughs> uh, Richard, are you here? Yeah, Richard, India is not the cleanest place in the world. Rose, yeah. 
And Julie said, I felt like I just, she had bought, they had bought uh, Indian women's clothing to wear. And she said, I, I wanted to pull my clothes up against me and say, I'm an American. I shouldn't have to face such dirt and filth. And she said this at, at our church. Um, uh, when they got back, they gave the, the teenagers an opportunity to talk about their experience. And she said, as I was thinking that, I thought to myself, what did Jesus have to face every day of his life? Um, he didn't have to face the filth of India. He had, the, he had to face the filth of, the, of human sin. Are you with me here? How can I be a friend of God living in an alien world in open rebellion against God and expect things to be easy and comfortable? Yes, sir. That's critical. That's right. Yes. Yeah, and all of that's uh, tied up in it. Uh, how did you say? First, uh, uh, he's. What was the first point you made? Yeah, but before you that, you said something else that was good. And I, he's growing us. I, folks, our whole experience as humans tells us that the, that growth as humans entails pain. There is no growth without pain in this world. Yes? So if I'm going to... Folks, I don't realize how deeply ingrained sin is in my life until God starts rooting it out of me. And when he starts rooting it out of me, it's, it's hurtful, it's painful. It can't be otherwise. How will I ever come to love the things of the Lord as long as I love the things of the world? But he has to disabuse me of that love. Am I making sense to you? Um, that's got to be painful. And then uh, you're, you're, you're singing a song I love, brother. Uh, um, the whole point of faith is not that you get a series of, of tick marks on a doctrinal statement ticked off. The whole point of faith is that you trust God when there doesn't seem to be any, any obvious reason for doing it. When, when, there's, when, when you can't trust, when there's no obvious reason, then you really don't trust. Are you with me here? Um, so the, the issue for us always has to be that God takes us into deep difficulties. And by the way, what's deep for one person isn't necessarily deep for the next. Yes? So, so I may... I may tell you part of my story, and you'll think, well, why, did, why was that so hard to go through? Because it wasn't your headache. <laughs> it was the headache God planned for me to make me like Christ. And the headache that he planned for me to trust him in the midst of it, not knowing why he would take me into such times, but trusting that he is good and kind and merciful, yes, and loving, in the midst of the, the most difficult times of our lives. And when we do that, this is one of the greatest evidences of the greatness of God that you'll ever find. This is the book of Job. We did Job months, years ago now. And in Job, I, I, I tried to make the point. It's, it, 
it's well beyond the, the memory of anybody living right now. But uh, uh, I tried to make the point that um, Job is undergoing a test of faith. See, the great issue in the book of Job is, does God love, do, sorry, does Job love God or does Job love God's gifts? If he loves God's gifts, when God takes them away, then Job will, will abandon God. But if he loves God, then he will suffer great pain at the removal of the gifts, but he won't change in his allegiance to God. Does this make sense to you? And it is the greatest evidence of the greatness of God that you and I can give that we trust him when there's no obvious reason to trust. So I have to know what, what the, the inner workings of God's plan are with reference to suffering and with reference to being at peace with him. But now, in order to be able to weather such times, so Paul says in, let's go back now to chapter 8 and pick it up at verse 17. Paul anticipates what's coming in verse 17. He begins the section in verse 18. If we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. If we suffer with him, that we may be glorified with him. If we suffer with him, what does that mean? What kind of sufferings are we talking about? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you now, and then we'll work our way through the passage as far as we can get this morning and see what it says. But, but the point that this passage makes is it doesn't limit the sufferings. It's not suffering when you testify, give a testimony for Jesus, and, and are persecuted for it. Yes, it is that, but it's not only that. It's that headache you have that won't go away. Yes, it's the weakness that you have in your body that you would love to get rid of, but you can't. You don't know what to do, and you've done everything you know to do, and yet nothing, goes, no, nothing gets better. It's that hard family relationship. It's the job problem that you're facing that you, it looks like God's not doing anything. God's walked off. He's abandoned me. He's forgotten but when I trust in the middle of such times, I am giving the greatest testimony for the greatness of God that I can give. It is the same testimony Job gave. Even though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Yes? So, is, is God really worth trust, worth our, our confidence? And objectively, we say, and all of us would say at one point or another in our lives, all of us would say, yes, absolutely. But it's when the hardships come that that's really tested and demonstrated to be what it really is, the incorruptible seed of God at work in our lives. Yeah, Fred? Jim, when hardships come or difficulties, I, I usually jump up and say, well, God's punishing. Yeah, that's what have I done? First yeah. This is, again, why I need to know. So I, when, when trouble comes and I think, well, what's God doing? Why? What did I do wrong? And the answer is maybe nothing. Um, did, did any of you, some of you may have grown up in a family like this. I did not. <clears throat> Mother had three words. And when I heard those three words, I knew I was in trouble. <laughs> 
The three words were, get the belt. No, get the belt. (laughs) Now, she never said, get the belt, unless first she had told me what, what was wrong, what was going on. Yes? What would you think of a parent who called children in, uh, Art Linkletters, most of you will remember the name Art Linkletter, uh, said one day, uh, I always spank my children every day when I get home from work because even if they haven't done anything wrong, they've thought about it. So <laughs> now he was a humorist and so I, I didn't take him seriously. Maybe he was, but I didn't take him seriously. But how, how, how many of you would think well of a parent who said to children, come in here, you're all getting a spanking. And they said, but, but why, Dad? Why, Mom? You figure it out. <laughs> and then you, then you whip the children and send them to their rooms. Don't come out until you're sorry. For what? What would you think of such a parent? It was terrible. And yet that's the way we treat God. When suffering comes, I think, what have I done wrong? If God hasn't made you aware of something, you probably haven't done anything. It's probably just part of what it takes to grow in a world like our world, to live as a friend of God in a world in open rebellion against him. Is this making sense to you? So, but there's more. Verse uh, 18 now. Now notice, if we suffer with him, that we may be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. I was in the army during the Vietnam War. And nobody knew how that thing was going to turn out. It was not clear how the thing was going to turn out. Yes? You go into the army and you're being trained. You don't know even for sure what you're going to be trained for. You're in basic combat training. And in basic combat training, they're, tra- they're teaching you bayonet and rifle and hand-to-hand combat. And you're thinking, am I going to survive this thing? And partly, many of us were thinking, is it even worth it? Do you remember those days? Is it worth going through this training for this goal? I I don't even know what the goal is for sure. Are are you with me here? Protect South Vietnam from the encroachments of communism, but supporting the the South Vietnamese government was not that good a goal. It was a corrupt government. So, so, So if you're in training for something, you're not even sure what the goal is, and therefore you're not even sure whether the goal is worthy, then how do, you, how do you keep up your motivation for the training, especially as the training gets more difficult and more challenging as you go? Are you with me here? But in Romans 8, I find out what the goal is. And that the goal is not only a great goal, but it's a worthy goal. And therefore it's worth anything that I may have to go through. Oldridge? Yeah, part of... Uh answer your question, what I think is the camaraderie. Yeah. And that's why it's so important that Christians do fellowship together. Yeah. For that spiritual connection and support. That's, that's one of the, the, the camaraderie thing is one of the key 
points of the book of Hebrews that I need the fellowship of other believers to be able to sustain uh, my my own physical my, my spiritual health so that I can face hard times. And that, that's kind of a yeah. The boot camp or the training. Yeah. Hey, if he can make it, I can too. Yeah. Well, that I never did figure that way. <laughs> if he can make it, I probably can. So, <laughs> but the but the the point is. God's telling us what his goal is. Look again at verse 18. There is a glory that awaits us that is so great that it is worthy of any suffering we may undergo. Now, is that really true? Sometime, just make a note to yourself if you keep notes in your Bible, write a, write a note to yourself to read 2 Corinthians 11. In this, and and read about Paul's credentials as an apostle. Um, His his claim to be an apostle is under attack in Second Corinthians, and so uh, he talks about the super apostles. Are the are are they Christ's? I'm speaking like a fool. He says, "I all the more," and then he starts giving his credentials. He starts with the things that you would expect. Then he moves to things that nobody in the first century would have counted as qualifications for leadership. Specifically, it's suffering. Um, And all the sufferings that he underwent as an apostle. Yes? Um, This is the man who says in 2 Corinthians 3, 4, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a, an exceeding weight of glory. Paul's light affliction lasted about 30 years. It was but for a moment, lasted about 30 years. Yes? Um, why has it been the norm for the church in history for genuine believers in the church to be persecuted even by the church? Because that's the way God grows his people. That's the way he prepares them for the glory that he has has planned for us to have. Um, So he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us or to us. And the text could go either way. Um, Verse 21 makes it clear that there's a glory in us as well as a glory that is external that we get to see. But the, but the more important issue for us is to say the glory is such that we can't now appreciate it. Um, you've seen birthday parties for three-year-olds. And, and everybody's gone to get the, the gifts that they think the three-year-old will really want and the three-year-old plays with the boxes and the wrapping paper yes we're we're busy playing with the boxes and the wrapping paper instead of seeing what's really valuable and that that entails for us that demands of us that we begin to look at life not with the values of this world but with the values that god has defined you see the toy in the box is what the value is yes not the box the box is something you're going to throw away, right? We're playing with the boxes. We're not 
we're not content to let God define the values for us. We want the value we want. Um, and so we feel frustrated because God's not giving me what I want. But what if what you want wouldn't be good for you? What if what you want would actually be destructive for you? God tells us, though, about the the glory that awaits us. He does it indirectly through three kinds of statements. Look at verse 19. The earnest expectation of the creation is, is longing for the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to, to do you have vanity, meaninglessness? What do you have? Futility. Futility. Um, not willingly. Yeah. But what is it subjected to? Futility, meaninglessness, frustration. Frustration is a good word. Uh, this is the word that's, uh, this word is used most often in the Greek translation of the Old Testament in the book of uh, Ecclesiastes. And you know the, the, the kind of um, key statement about Ecclesiastes. What is it? Vanity. Yeah, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, says the Lord, uh, says the uh, preacher. Um, vanity is a word, for us, that means egotism, yes? Uh, but in, in uh, uh, King James period, what was uh, emptiness? emptiness. It, it has no substance. It has no lasting quality. So this world is subjected to a condition that has no lasting quality. The world is changing. Folks, we're fighting climate change. (laughs) Why aren't there glaciers here? Climate change. (laughs) Yes? Amen? Yes? Uh, Now, whatever you believe about human interaction and climate change, if you're fighting climate change, you're fighting a losing cause. The climate's always going to be changing. It's not the same temperature today it was yesterday. Yes? The humidity level is different today than it was yesterday. Climate changes. It's, that's this world. It is a world. Nothing is permanent. Everything is in flux. That's the point of this word. The, the creation was subjected to... The, the word wanos in Latin, vanity, comes from, means emptiness. Um, and 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 it was it was subjected to this not willingly but but through him who subjected it, so that um, uh, in hope that the creation itself will be set free uh, from bondage into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, we have talked about this before. I'll get you in a minute. Uh, we've talked about this before, but look, folks, where have you been on this world that's not beautiful in some way or other? I flew, we flew over, <clears throat> I don't know what we flew over. Um, we flew over the Middle East a number of years ago, and looking out of the plane, there were no clouds because it was desert down there, was no clouds. Uh, and all you could see was, as far as you could see, was, was um, desert. And yet there is a kind of glory to the desert. Um, I was in Siberia in winter. Uh, not a good time to go. January is not a great time to be in Siberia. But, 
but there was a beauty to that, that landscape that was there. South India, in Australia, places I've been, Poland, places I've been, there's beauty everywhere I've been. Yes? And this is a fallen world that's subjected to, to, to changeability. What will this world be? Um, Jan was in a music history course. They were talking about Tchaikovsky. And Tchaikovsky is one of our, I, both of us just respond profoundly to Tchaikovsky's first piano concerto. Oh, that, that, that just lifts my soul. Um, but Tchaikovsky was a man of, of prof, a profoundly corrupt man. I don't know whether you know anything about him or not. And how did that question even come up, Jan? How, how could he create such fine music? Did you ask that? Did somebody else in the class ask it? How could he produce such glorious music with, with the corrupt nature that he had? And the prof in the course, John Hodges, was, is still a good friend. John said, if fallen man can do this kind of beauty, what will this world be like when it's released from the, the dominion of sin? So if the, if the beautiful world that we see now is as beautiful as it is, what's the glory that awaits us when it's released from bondage? See, he has to go at it indirectly because we have the wrong value system. Uh, we, we, sing, we sing in our souls Frank Sinatra's song, I did it my way. No, I can't do it my way. If I do it my way, I'll destroy everything. Uh, so I have to look at this world and see what it's like. So he goes on, verse uh, uh, 22. For we know that the whole creation is groaning together even until now. We got into the mountains. Our cabin last week was... Uh, at about 9,300 feet above sea level. There's a lake, huge windows that looked out over a lake, and, and um, the geese would come in and settle on the lake, and uh, hawks and eagles would swoop down and, and catch fish. We got to see all this. A herd of sheep came by. Uh, it just, there were sheep everywhere. But it was just a glorious place. And we, you, know, you just look out over these mountains and you, and these weren't the these weren't the glorious rockies these were just part of the san juans out southwest colorado um, and yet that is what's under bondage today today with the aspens and the pines and yes with all the glory with all the beauty it's all under condemnation fred Yeah, uh, yeah. Same word in Greek. In Greek. Okay, so yeah. But the creature, I think, of, of being living thing. Yeah. Creation is not living thing. Is, is, what is the sense of that? Uh, it's it's creation in both cases. So the the creation is longing to be revealed, to be released. Augusto, I'm sorry. I saw your hand, but I thought you were just responding to what well, I was saying. Kind of that's all. Okay. <laughs> but I got something here in the book of Isaiah. 
and uh, chapter 12 of Isaiah, um, verse 2. Mm -hmm. And it says, uh, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid for the Lord. Even the Lord is my strength and my song. Yeah. God is musical. Yeah. We created in his own image. Yeah. And we are musical people. Mm -hmm. and, I, and also when when the book of Isaiah itself says somewhere in the book of Isaiah about Satan, how have you fallen, Satan? You know, that you were created such a beautiful being, you know, with uh, harps and and something and some bunch of musical instrument that God put into Satan. And Satan himself mm -hmm. is a person who perverts music. <laughs> Yeah. Through music, yes. he is perverting the oh. church. And oh. this is kind of the issue that my wife and I, you know, for the past six months, you know, were, were uh, grieving and dealing with the, 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 the music yeah. in, in the so-called worship service because once all of this rock and roll goes on, mm -hmm. there's really nothing left to worship. Yeah, people can't sing because they, the music's too difficult. Yeah. Uh, it's it, you can't find the melody and you can't follow it well. So there are lots of issues on this. The, the the point that I'm getting at then is by the indirection of talking about this beautiful world <coughs> that is subject to meaninglessness. It's subject to vanity. It's subject to change and and flux. It's subject to bondage. If this glorious world is to be glorified with your glory, then how great is your glory going to be? And if that's the glory that awaits us, maybe basic combat training wasn't all that difficult. In fact, basic combat training wasn't all that difficult. I didn't have to go to advanced combat training. I went to some another kind of training. I... I, I was listening to something about the Rangers, the Army Rangers, one in five who apply to be a Ranger. Um, only one in five makes it. What is it with SEALs? Do you know? It's about three to five, I think, percent. I mean, three to five percent. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's very low. Is it, is it worth it? I had a, a student a number of years ago who was a, an, uh, a Navy SEAL, he was in a wheelchair. He'd been injured pretty badly. <clears throat> he said, they have to make you crazy to be a SEAL. They, they actually make you crazy to make you a SEAL. Is it worth it? See, I don't know because I don't know what the goals are and I don't know what, whether they're worthy or not. I do know the goal here. And this, subjecting ourselves to what God is doing in suffering, is not crazy. It's valuing what's in the package, not valuing the box and the wrapping paper. It's valuing what's really valuable, what people would spend everything they have to get, and people have spent everything they had to get it. So Hebrews 11, I looked at uh, uh, William R. Newell's commentary on Romans just briefly this morning and he cited two passages one in Colossians and I've forgotten the other one uh, well Hebrews 11 um, at the end of Hebrews 11 uh, uh, people who suffered hardship for the name of Christ because they counted as, as Moses does counts the reproach of Messiah greater treasure than the wealth of Egypt are you with me here 
So if I know, if I know the person of God, if I understand what kind of character he has, and I know that he's not a brutal parent, he is a profoundly loving, merciful, gracious, uh, kind, generous parent who wants the very best for us and knows what the best is. Not every time that I disciplined my children was I disciplining them for their good. It was sometimes I was disciplining them because it satisfied me <laughs> to do. Uh, but, but God knows what is best and has chosen the best means to accomplish the best goals. And if he's chosen the best means to accomplish the best goals, then any suffering that he may set out for us is the best means to achieve that goal. I don't understand it, but folks, if I understood, it wouldn't take faith to get through it. Yes, ma'am, I'm sorry. Yeah. And here's what God said to him. And he yeah. wanted to meet him face to face. Yes. And here's what God uh, said to him. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. And then he goes, yeah. but he's declaring yeah. that he is there to us. And we need, that's where we yes. rest and take hold of who he says he is. Was it J.B. Phillips who wrote the book, uh, Your God is Too Small? Was that Phillips? Anybody happen to remember? I think it was Phillips. Um, I, I never read the book, uh, but his the chapters were, God is a, a, a policeman. God, I forget now the chapters. It was years, many years ago that I saw the book last. Uh, most of us have such a, 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 an inadequate view of God. Our greatest need is to know what kind of person God is. That's why, folks, the Old Testament is written in stories. So you get to see what kind of God God is. Is the book of Judges more about God's um, punishing Israel or about his goodness? It's much more about his goodness. You have six times in the story. In, are, you, are you aware? There are six major judges, six minor judges, but the six ma- they're, they're only major and minor because the major ones have their story told. The minor ones were pretty significant. They just didn't get their stories told. Six times the people turn away from the Lord, follow the, follow the Baals, And God hands them over, what he said he would do in Deuteronomy, he hands them over to oppression, and they are oppressed for X number of years. And then the the cycle changes just slightly. In some of the cycles, they cry out to the Lord. When I was first charting this, I charted it as repentance, but it's not repentance, because they keep going back to idolatry. Uh, So it's more foxhole conversion that's in view here 
Uh, so that, that, that's the most obvious in chapter 10 of Judges, where God says, I'm not going to deliver you anymore. You cry out to the Baals. Let them deliver you. I'm not going to do it anymore. And the people said to the Lord, yes, you're right in all that you say. Do to us as seems right in your eyes. And if they had stopped there, I'd said, that's real repentance. They didn't stop there. Only this time, deliver us. It was just foxhole. Uh, in, the la- in the sixth of the, of the six-part uh, cycle, uh, Samson, in the story of Samson, people don't even cry out to God, but he still brings a deliverer. And the deliverance, the, the story is about how the deliverer brings deliverance and how long they had rest after the judge's ministry. Go sometime into Judges and look at how long is the oppression and how long is the time of rest that follows deliverance. It's always longer and sometimes substantially longer. God is far more merciful than most of us think he is. Most of us think that God's God's keeping a record of all of our sins and he thinks, okay, I'm going to get that one in 2020. And when, when 2020 comes and, and I get into some trouble, I, I, I'll say, God, why did you do this? And he'll say, because of what you did back in 1932. <laughs> <laughs> but what you do, are, are you with me? Most of us think of God that way. He, he's far more merciful, far more loving, far more gracious with his people than we have ever dreamed that he is, when he brings suffering into our lives, it is because it is the most needful thing to produce in us what is the most necessary thing, the thing that we would, if we understood it, give everything to get. We haven't gotten to the point of what that is yet. Let's read on, verse 23. The first evidence of how great the glory is, is the groaning of the creation. Second evidence is in verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruit of the Spirit groan within ourselves while we await the adoption. Then he defines the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Um, uh, Most of you will have known the song by the Gaithers, if it keeps getting better and better, oh Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um... Uh, the Gaithers turn out to be a whole lot more solid than I thought they were. Um, I, I thought they were a little bit vacuous for a lot of time, for a lot of years, but they, they turn out to be a whole lot more solid. That song still just bugs me. I'm not sure that in terms of the externals of Paul's life, he could have said, well, the Lord's just so good here. I am in prison. I've been beaten for the fight. Amen. I'm talking about mere externals here, not talking about his spiritual well-being. Yes? If I'm looking at externals, I can't say, if it keeps getting better and better, oh Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do, if I look at mere externals. But unfortunately, because we are people of, of five senses, We tend to to count what we perceive with our senses as more real than anything else. And so what I see, what I hear, what I taste, what I touch, those are the the things that I think are real. Whereas 
I, I was looking at a website the other day about the fortunes that a number of, of, um, of uh, famous people have. Uh, Donald Trump, they estimated his uh, wealth at $3.7 billion. I, don't, I think he probably even knows for sure what his, his t total net wealth is. But what happens when um, Larry Burkett turns out to be right? that to deal with the national debt, we're going to have to hyperinflate the, the currency. Yep. What happens to that $3.7 billion? It becomes nothing. It becomes nothing. Um, so Proverbs, pardon? I thought I heard somebody say something. Uh, uh, Proverbs says that, that wealth takes flight. Um, what good is wealth? Well, I can touch it. It gives me a sense of security. Yes, but it's a false sense of security because there are things wealth can't solve. Um, it's like saying, how much do you leave behind? All of it. All of it. <laughs> Senator, Senator McCain would give every dime he has to get rid of that, blood, that brain tumor that he has. Mm -hmm. But no amount of money can get rid of that brain tumor. Yes? So here I am living in this fallen body in a fallen world. And I'm groaning while I'm waiting for what God has planned for us. In the midst of that, though, that groaning joins the groaning of all creation. Look at verse 24 now. Uh, for we are saved in hope. Hope that is seen is not hope. <laughs> for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we don't see... We are waiting patiently. Now the whole point here is to hope for what we don't see. Indeed, sometime when you're reading through Hebrews and you come to chapter 11, start looking for the, the, the um, illogical nature of the hope that each of the people in Hebrews 11 has. If you took simply a human point of view on their lives, Abraham, I mean, go, back, go back to Enoch. Go back to, to, to um, um, Abel. Yes? Is there any reason for us to imitate Abel? He being dead still speaks. Yeah, there does seem to be some reason for imitating Abel. What if it gets me killed? He being dead still speaks. Yes? Moses endured as seeing him who is unseen? What kind of rationale is there in that? On a mere human level. Well, there is none on a mere human level. But we've, we're learning to embrace values that we can't perceive with our senses. Values that we trust that a wise God has chosen perfectly. Can you imagine, folks, at the judgment seat of Christ and you get your reward being envious of anybody else's reward? If you can, it's because you don't understand the nature of God. His reward for you is going to be perfect. Exactly for you. Um, my, my grandmother left me a ring. Um... And I didn't know, what, in the, what am I going to do with my grandmother's ring? And we, I, we kept it in a box someplace, and 
didn't know what to do with it quite. But I, I thought my stepfather has a friend who was uh, who's uh, after retiring from his professorship went into making jewelry, and I called him and I said, "Could you make a pendant for uh, a necklace?" And he said, "Sure, you can do that." So I, without Jan knowing about it, I sent it to uh, him, and um, we got it back in at Christmas time uh, when we were at our daughter's house opening presents. Jan opened that present, and she broke out. She knew what the what the setting was immediately. She knew it was grandmother's ring. She broke out into tears, but Jan cries at everything. She cried at our wedding. I, I'm not sure quite what to make of the fact that she cried at our wedding, but she <laughs> cried at our wedding. <laughs> what am I doing? Why am I getting into this? <laughs> but, but our daughter said, Dad, you'll never be able to top that. And I haven't been able to top that. What if, what if the reward that is that God has planned for you is so perfectly adapted to your, to the way God has created you and prepared you that you couldn't possibly have any envy of anybody else's reward because, but do you see what the Lord gave me? Do you see this? Are you with me here? If, if that's our future, what price is not worth paying? I can't see it, but I'm adopting a, a value system. One of the things that sanctification is about is helping us adopt a value system that values the thing God's valuing so that when they all come, I can value them the way he does and be as excited as we are at Christmas, at, the, at that perfect Christmas present, but not playing with the boxes anymore. Then there's a, a third groaning in this passage, verse 26. Uh, for years I wondered, in the same way? What does in the same way mean? Well, it's that the creation is groaning and you and I are groaning. And brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit himself is groaning. That's astonishing to me. So verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit helps our weakness, for we don't know what to pray for as we ought. We've asked this question before and we've answered it. What do we pray for when we get into suffering? Yeah, specifically help to do what? To get out of it. (laughs) But that's not what God wants for us. Yes? Um, We don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit uh, himself intercedes with unutterable groans. And then he explains it, verse uh, uh, 27. The, the one who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes in a godly way for the saints. So he's praying for you today and for me that when suffering comes, it will produce what it needs to produce so that we will be able to participate in the glory that is, that is before us. Now, just so that I won't leave it without a goal, let me give you the goal. Verse uh, 28 and 29. 29 is too Calvinistic. I'll have to be careful in the way I read this. But verse 28, we know that um, all things work together for good to those who love God. Do you know that? 
you know that verse. Do you know that? I don't. I haven't accepted that. I'm struggling to accept it. Don't like accepting it. Because I know what good I want, but God has a different good for me. Um, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to, the purpose, to his purpose. For whom he did, he also did <laughs> to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. The good, the thing that's before us, the hope that we have, the glory that we're waiting for is to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And brothers and sisters, as we shall see next week, Lord willing, you're not going to come short of that. Uh, What is the plan of God for my life? We're at a stage in life where we're not asking those questions quite so much as we did when we were younger. Yes? Some of you, when you were younger, weren't asking those questions. But, but young people in college are asking, what, what, should, what career, what, what does the Lord want from me in a career and a marriage and a home and family and where should I live? Yes, all those questions. Those are essentially irrelevant. Because if you're becoming like Christ, it doesn't matter what your career is. And if you're not becoming like Christ, it doesn't matter what your career is. <laughs> uh, the place is irrelevant. The people you live with are irrelevant. If you're becoming like Christ, if you're becoming like Christ, then God is using those people to help you become like Christ. With all the problems? Yeah, with all the problems. Precisely. In fact, specifically, with all the problems. Then we have hope, folks. You're going to be like Jesus. We'll, we'll look at this next week as we return to Romans chapter 8. Let's close with prayer. Uh, Father, we plead with you. I don't know whether I should pray this or not. I'm, it frightens me to pray it in a sense. In another sense, um, Father, it's the only prayer we can pray. Help us to value what you value, to love what you love, to look forward to what you look forward to for us, to have set before us the goal so that we don't lose heart in the midst of the hardships getting to it. Remind us, Father, even give us opportunities to see a little bit of the progress from now on, uh, from time to time that we can be encouraged that you really are doing something amazing in us. So much of our life seems just routine, mundane, as Bill Butterworth talked about this morning. And yet nothing is mundane when you are involved in it. So, Father, give us eyes to see your work for the sake of Jesus. Amen.